We are very fortunate today to be joined by Mr. Mike Mikitani, founder and CEO of Rakuten Group. Mikitani-san graduated from Hitotsubashi University, after which he went to work for the Industrial Bank of Japan, at the time one of the largest banks in Japan and which has since morphed into the Mitsuho Financial Group. In the middle of his stint at the bank, he went to the US to get an MBA at Harvard Business School. Actually, we might have met there as I was finishing my doctorate at the same time. Then in 1997, he started the e-commerce platform Rakuten Ichiba. Now, these were modest beginnings, uh, six employees, one server, 13 merchants. Fast forward 25 years later, he is still today the chairman and CEO and largest shareholder of Rakuten Group, which now employs 31,000 people, including thousands of engineers. 20% of these 31,000 employees are non-Japanese and represent over 100 different nationalities. The group's revenues are about $15 billion per year, and the market capitalization stands at about $8 billion right now. An amazing success, Mikitani-san. Now you asked me to call you Miki, and I will hence do so from now on, and I wish you a warm welcome. Thank you very much, John Francis. So one of our objectives for today's discussion is to understand a little bit better this success. So first, let me ask you to help us understand the wide range of activities that currently make up the group. Now, your reports mention three major clusters, internet services, fintech, and mobile. But I think these three headings do not reflect the full diversity and breadth of all your activities. So let's start with internet services, which represent a bit more than 50% of the group's revenues. What's included in there? Well, definitely, I started one of the first uh, internet marketplaces in the world 26 years ago. Since then, I have been diversifying and expanding the scope of our services to travel, advertisement, various transactional internet uh, services. So those uh, internet segment includes basically e-commerce travel, ads, and content. TV? Yeah, of course. In Europe, we have Rakuten TV. That's included in our internet service segment. Okay. Yes. Now, that's internet services. FinTech is about 30% of the group's revenues. What's included in there? We are the biggest online uh, bank, and uh, we are one of the biggest online brokerage firms. And uh, we are biggest by far the credit company. Uh, we have online insurance business as well. And finally, we have the mobile sector, your most recent venture, and, and one that I believe has two major activities a domestic one and an international one. Tell us more about this. After the view of a smartphone, a smartphone became very important uh, touch point for us for our internet services as well as our financial services and so forth. But more than that, this uh, smartphone and wireless access became very, very critical part of the people's life to the society, to the country, and so forth. But this industry has been very, very old. They have been, you know, not really evolving across the generations, whether it's a 2G or 3G or 4G or 5G. That's been always being operated by specialized uh, hardware. And we had uh, this concept of uh, transform the definition of wireless connectivity, which we call mobile as a software. And we have decided to take this big challenge as one of our moonshot projects. But so what this has meant is you now, have, you now operate a mobile network in Japan, and then you are also increasingly trying to sell this 
this new approach internationally? Yes. The analogy may be like Amazon e-commerce and uh, Amazon warehouse service, AWS, right? Definitely, because of Rakuten Mobile Service in Japan, we developed many softwares. We acquired many telecom software companies, and now we integrated all these uh, you know, software into one package, which is very, very efficient economically and operationally. We automated uh, with AI to manage many operations of network management. So not only we can keep the capex for, to build the network, but also we can really revolutionize the cost structure of uh, operating a network. So that's why you know, we already have a big client in Germany called 101 Dritish. We are talking with uh, many companies and over 70 companies use our softwares already, partially or largely. And we will come back on this in a minute. Now, started with one server and a few vendors, today a very diversified group. Obviously, this did not happen overnight. Are there some major milestones along the way, or is this for you a simple, continuous progression? Well, for the last 26 years, we have been continuously growing. And I think we have demonstrated that stability and growth potential of our business models and ecosystem. Even during the COVID-19 pandemic, we managed to keep the same velocity for the growth, as well as, you know, even if this uh, Russian invasion to uh, Ukraine, uh, where the economy is suffering, uh, we are demonstrating our continuous growth. If you had to single out one or two major decisions that were like fork in the road, are there one or two major decisions that come out of this continuous journey in your mind? Well, I think the journey of us is very unique. No other single company provide the scope of the services we provide, ranging from credit card to insurance to brokerage to banking, e-commerce to ads and travel. So I think uh, definitely uh, one of the key decisions is not really stick to one business model, but kind of proliferate scope of the services and create unique ecosystem by introducing very unique and attractive reward program. And the second thing is that uh, we have decided to use single brand. So it's always Rakuten ABC or Rakuten XYZ. And third is definitely now the biggest challenge we are conducting for mobile. Now, one more question on, the, on this range of activities. I, I think about 80% of the group's revenues still originate from Japan. Where is the rest of the revenue generated and, and through what activity? We have the uh, very strong uh, reward program, Rakuten Rewards, cashback size in the US. Uh, we have done about $15 billion of transaction this year. And uh, we have the second largest ebook company called Rakuten Kobo. And uh, as for the communication platform, uh, we own 100% of one of the strongest messaging platform called Viver, which is very popular in Eastern European countries and some countries in uh, Southeast Asia. Is it your plan to continue to grow energetically outside of Japan? Definitely, yes. Because I, I think this internet is connected. It's, there is no you know, national borders for internet. And despite the fact, we have to really make sure that we are not really wasting our resources in the countries which we cannot win. But at the same time, you know, expanding the business globally will make us stronger, make us uh, access to the most advanced the technology business models, 
And I think just staying domestically is also very dangerous. Now, this, this global perspective, is this one of the reasons why you've secured very significant sponsorship? One, of course, uh, in Europe with the Barca football team and in the US with the Golden State Warriors. Was that part of the idea to make sure that the brand would be known globally even before you would have major activities? Yes, obviously, building a brand is expensive. Either it's a TV sponsorship or TV advertisement or through the internet ads, it's awfully expensive. And associating a brand uh, with a very uh, special sports organizations such as FCB and Golden State Warriors are very critical to get our brands known as well as you know, basically sending a message We care about people, we care about community, we care about society. Now, this represents still a wide range of activities, as we said. And in fact, a number of analysts refer to Rakuten as a conglomerate. Now, whenever we say conglomerate, it suggests relatively loose connections between the group's activities. But I think that that's an incorrect characterization of the Rakuten group. It seems to me that indeed you have managed to create an ecosystem and while there is a wide range of activities, there are also very strong connections. So can you please tell us more about this Rakuten ecosystem and how you make the whole more than the sum of the parts? Well, I think uh, we have to talk about two things. One is about organizational structure and culture of the company and the other is the business model. And talking about the business model, I think definitely it's e-commerce marketplace versus banking versus telecom. You need to have a different skill set. So for most of the companies, it's difficult to re-put them side by side together and function as a team. But uh, because of the unique culture of Rakuten, we succeeded to do so. So the reason why Rakuten Bank is by far the biggest online bank in Japan, why Rakuten Card is about to reach almost like a 30% market share for the, all the entire credit card transactions in Japan is coming from the fact they enjoy our ecosystem. Uh, so that's another uniqueness of the teamwork spirit of, of Japan. Maybe you have seen World Cup soccer that the Japan team did relatively well, I think. Although we didn't have real superstar like other countries team, but we function as a team. Each team, each, each player, each businesses has a different character, different strengths and different weakness, but we reinforce each other as a one team. So that's a very unique side of Rakuten Group. And organizationally, we have done it very, very well, I think. Let me still keep you on this topic. About 20 years ago, a very smart marketing and strategy colleague of mine commented one day in a classroom and said, look, I currently have a Sony mobile phone, a Sony computer, and a Sony Walkman. The problem is Sony has given me no reason to own all three. Of course, fast forward a few years later, Apple managed to create an ecosystem where once you have an iPhone, it kind of helps to also have other parts of the ecosystem. I believe you have done something like this in Rakuten, meaning that when I have one service with you, you encourage me and incentivize me to have others. Tell us how you've done this. So from the beginning, even from 20 years ago, my strategy is really create a membership. So Rakuten is not e-commerce company. Rakuten is not fintech company. Rakuten is membership company. 
And sometimes we provide the proprietary service by ourselves, like our marketplace or travel or banking. But sometimes we use external services and partner with them. So how you can create a strong membership? And it is about the reward program you create. It's about a brand. It's about a game of getting a brain share. And the business model-wise, I have been advocating this, you know, CAC LTV, customer acquisition cost and lifetime value of customer arbitrage from the beginning. So customer acquisition cost of each respective services of Rakuten Group is much, much lower than our competitors. And hence our operation is much more efficient. So we save cost. We give the money back or value back to the consumers. And the consumer can, you know, basically use these points to do something. For example, Rakuten Mobile, you can pay your mobile subscription by points. So if you buy from Rakuten Marketplace, you use Rakuten card, you go to travel by Rakuten Travel, you use Rakuten Bank, your mobile subscription becomes almost free because you can use those points to pay for Rakuten Mobile, which you used to be paying almost like 100 bucks. So that's a low cost, recreative using data and AI and make it efficient and pay back to the customer and create a sense of membership. That's the game plan. And you often use this, this word membership. And what's the difference between having a member and having a customer? Member is uh, definitely, uh, we have three things. The brand, again, loyalty program, and the data now. We can analyze the data. For example, if you just generally apply for the credit card, the Visa card, or American Express, or whatever, you will get very limited spending limit. Maybe 3,000 bucks, 5,000 bucks. But now, I know you have been buying from us for the last five years, never delayed. So when you apply, from day one, I can give you 20,000 US dollars of spending limit, or maybe 30,000 spending limit. And then we can give more benefit because I know you, right? So membership is of course, the uh, reward program, like mileage or point program, plus how you can gamify it. Now, Rakuten points, you can buy, for example, uh, cryptocurrency. You can buy ETF. You can buy shares. So we're the master of this reward program. And I guess the word membership signals a closer relationship and a longer term relationship than the word customer, right? Customers come and go, members stay. Yeah. They belong to Rockton Club. Understood. Now, you mentioned earlier the culture. And indeed, you have Rakuten basic principles. I think Rakuten Shugi in Japanese. And, and here there are brand concepts. And then there are five values, which I found to be very distinctive. First, please tell us briefly about the brand concepts. Well, as you introduced me, I used to be the banker at the bank called Industrial Bank of Japan. I liked IBJ because it was a leading bank in Japan and they were the leader for Japanese industries. And, and then we are basically allocating very precious, important long-term capital to important industries. But I think that now we are, I realize the society is going to go through transformation because of the internet and because of IT. And I decided to jump off from the big ship called IBJ and started my own company. But the vision is not only to create a very profitable business, but create a very valuable business to the society, as well as demonstrate 
for very uh, conservative Japanese younger uh, people that even the Japanese can create very global, very successful enterprise. But so then, you, as you said, you have one brand, everything is Rakuten. And this brand, of course, operates in a number of different businesses and marketplaces. Are there some things that, that the brand across these different activities must have in common? I think you, you, in your report, you refer to this as brand concepts. Yeah, obviously, we wanted to really make sure that we have a vision, which is to contribute to the society. That is one of the reasons probably we're not very good at some businesses like games. Which, uh, of course, it's, it's a very profitable, very good business, maybe very important business for some people. But I think we are, our vision when we started was to help SMEs, local community, and that has been the founding reason of Rakuten. Hence, some of the business we are not very good at. Because we, some, most of the people do not really feel there's a huge value, huge shared value, I say, for some of the businesses. How about the values? I found you have five values in your group and I found them to be quite distinctive. One of them, I think, is speed, speed, speed. Obviously, you need to have agility. And then sometimes you need to have a velocity and sometimes you need to have energy to do a big thing. But I think it's a, it's a matter of how you, not only how you succeed fast, but also how you fail fast. And the failure for me is not like failure, it's a learning experience. We learn something, we fix the business, or we, sometimes we retreat, but we learn something and we become stronger. So uh, speed is definitely important. Obviously, at the same time, when you engage to the big project, you need to be prepared. So it's a, it's a balance of the speed and, and preparation. And of course, these values are relatively easy to write down on a piece of paper, but they're not easy to embed in the culture of an organization that now has tens of thousands of employees. How did you manage to make sure that the, the brand concepts and the values are indeed deeply embedded and produced every day uh, in an increasingly international group? Well, I think you have to be persistent. You need to repeat. You need to create uh, practices. For example, Monday morning, uh, we still do all hands, the group-wide conference. After that, all of us, including myself, clean up our own office, including wiping the legs of the chairs. Okay. So you have rituals like this? Rituals, practices. That's uh, very, very important to preserve good part of Japanese culture across the global operations. And I didn't know about the legs of the chair. Why the legs of the chair? What's the symbolism? Well, I think the most important thing to stay entrepreneurial is accountability. It's not my business. It's not shareholders' business. It's our business. Each individual need to feel the accountability and ownership of the business. And then if it's a house, Basically, you clean up your house, your living room, your kitchen, you clean them up by yourself. If there's dust on your chair, you will wipe. So why not office? Now, one of the key decisions that you made in this area of culture and uh, shared practices is a bit more than 10 years ago, the decision to promote Englishization, where you basically said, henceforth, English is going to be the official language of the group, including in Japan. 
And at the time, this was relatively controversial outside of the group, but also a little bit inside. So what led you to make this very important decision? First of all, if you think about how many hours average Japanese people study English from elementary school, junior high school, high school to universities, where 70% of Japanese people go to university, by the way, they studied over 2,000 hours of English. And yet, our English capability is horrible. <laughs> we are second from the bottom in Asia. You know, this is kind of a shame, to be very honest. But I knew that if Japanese people want, they probably can learn and speak and communicate in English in a relatively short amount of time because they have a background, number one. Number two, if you want to create the global great, not good, great service company from Japan, the organization needs to be global. We cannot really create a wall between Japanese and non-Japanese. And I can ask non-Japanese people like you to study Japanese, but I think it's almost impossible, right? That's number two. Number three, uh, we cannot really hire best and brightest engineers, scientists from Japan. Japan only produced 16,000 graduate based focus specialized in computer science, in, uh, computer engineering, and programming, and they are only 16,000. In US, we have about 400,000. In China, maybe 1 million, uh, maybe India, I don't know, maybe 2 million people. We hired 150 new grads from IIT this year. It's a massive number. We hire more than Meta, we hire more than Microsoft, probably more hire more than you know, Google, as a matter of fact. So we have to have the resources. And fourth reason is, I don't want my Japanese staff to just have a Japanese domestic lens. I want them to look at what's going on in other worlds. I want to know, for example, UX, they should go to, not to Japanese services, they, they should go to apps of other countries and uh, learn from the best practices from the world. So widen the scope of their eyes, also very, very important. And one of the points that you had indeed mentioned at the time was we want to encourage them to look abroad. Another point that you made is, and let's be very clear, what innovations that start abroad at some point will also end up coming to Japan. And so we need to be aware of what's happening elsewhere. Exactly, for sure. Now, you mentioned a number of engineering graduates. You mentioned AI earlier. How advanced is the Rakuten Group today in making sense of this enormous wealth of data that you have accumulated on, I think in Japan, about 100 million members. That's a lot of data. How are, have you created a unit and how are they making sense of all of this? That is one reason the general public is surprised by the strength of our business and, and continuous growth and expansion of our business. It's partially based on our data capability. It's uh, one of the most powerful data. It's not like just search data or like a social graph. We know the transactions. We know a lot. Obviously, we have to be conscious about the privacy and not really violate, you know, legally and ethically. But at the same time, we can leverage those data and expand. What's happening right now is all these very talented people from hyperscalers are moving to Rakuten because their favorite food is data. Their favorite food is not money. Their favorite food is data. And we have the best data, best food for them. 
So it's now indeed become, we have such a mass of data and we're starting to have a capability to analyze it. It helps us to attract top-notch AI people. And then we have a very powerful tool called Rakuten Superpoints, which is our reward program. Right. Now, up until now, this is a story of incredible success, including on the mobile front, where in 2014, you launched an MVNO, a mobile virtual network operator, where you were renting capacity from another operator. So at the time, this was an asset light model, which enabled you to create benefits on the marketing side without having to bear the cost of the infrastructure. More recently, you decided to launch your own network, which has, of course, generated large-scale upfront investments. And that has also resulted in relatively substantial losses, which have affected Rakuten's share price, which is currently about 50% down from, from a high 18 months ago. First, what led you to the decision of building your own network? Well, you know, if you just chase after the stock price, you're going to make a big splash. I think we were the, the last company to go to public during the first internet bubble in 2000, year 2000. And our initial market price cap was uh, $3.8 billion when we went IPO. A couple of weeks later, we were smashed down to 500. And so was Amazon. And uh, definitely, uh, we have a confidence that this is going to be unbelievably successful business. And uh, asset-like business is attractive, but at the same time, it's dangerous. If you think about why Amazon is so strong, it's because of their AWS infrastructure, as well as their logistic capability. So that's why in some countries, it's very difficult for other companies to compete against Amazon because they have invested so much. So was Google, right? Their data centers unbelievable computing capabilities, super capital intensive. So I have decided to learn, okay, if we can have a good game plan, and then of course, competitive landscape change time to time, but our technology is very amazing. Our cost structure is going to be probably like more than 3x, 4x more efficient than our competitors. Eventually, uh, we'll become the number one mobile company in Japan for sure. And the reason why your cost structure is lower is this new approach to building a network which is less hardware-centric and more software-centric. Partially, yes. And second is entrepreneurs. We are not big company. We are not bureaucratic. We cut off the cost, right? If you think about everything, the big company syndrome and the bureaucracy in the big companies are huge cost for them. And so this takes us back, of course, to the culture aspect. But what would be two or three of the, of the reasons why you are successful at fighting off bureaucracy and remaining entrepreneurial and nimble? <laughs> I don't know whether I'm successful or not. I'm a challenger. Uh, and then we have a vision, again, to not be trapped by conventional wisdom. Uh, we are not afraid of doing things in a different way. I think that's why our employees are you know, still together. And uh, we have very strong center of gravity. I think we have been showing to the public we are not afraid of engaging into the big challenge. So that is the biggest distinguished difference between us and other Japanese companies, I think. Even among most of the internet startups, I think we, are, we do moonshot projects. So courage, uh, vision. We're a challenger, you said. That's, that's also interesting where, I guess... I am reminded of Virgin Group a few years ago, 
which was indeed attacking larger companies. So, so this is part of the ethos and part of the culture. Yes, but uh, we're not, our intent is not really to just challenge the big companies and destroy them. But I think we, it's our mission to show them there is a new way to do it. For example, like banking, now the major you know, mega banks still reside on a very legacy mainframe IT infrastructure. Versus us, we do everything on the cloud. Uh, so the cost structure is going to be significantly different. So that's the you know, analogy for telecom industry. They are sitting on legacy architecture. We are redefining how we can make wireless network close to internet network. And with this new outfit, Rakuten Symphony, uh, your hope is to be able to sell this approach, this technology, internationally. You mentioned earlier a first customer in Germany. Obviously, this is going to be a, a challenging endeavor, right? There are a number of, I guess, barriers to entry and, and uh, a number of reasons why it's not going to necessarily be easy to sell a completely different approach. Tell us why you think this is going to be successful internationally. That's the future. This is the future. When we started this project, everybody was questioning whether you can really create the scalable wireless network on software. And that's why Rakuten is so special because we have mobile service and we have software company. We are the only one who has both. Other, even hyperscalers don't have telecom service. And telecom service is really, really complicated. But we want to simplify it. And then we test, run, fix, test, run, fix, test, run, fix. How fast can you do this with a speed, speed, speed mindset? It's really critical. That's why AWS is very strong for crowd. That's why Rockton Symphony is going to succeed. So what I'm hearing is you saying, look, if you chase the stock price all the time, you're never, you're never going to innovate. Our stock price has been up and down before. So has Amazon. Uh, we are confident that we have the right direction. And we believe that right now, the stock market is underestimating the potential future profitability of the decisions that we've made on the mobile side. Maybe it's a theme of the many business schools included in yours, is that uh, stock market is not sometimes rational, right? I think uh, it goes up and down. One day, thought, okay, ride sharing is going to be hot. Next day, maybe not. And there's a sentiment. And you can, if you want to recreate a really, really strong company, strong foundation, obviously I'm very conscious about the, our shareholders, but I, I think it's just chasing after and you know, try to maximize short-term profit. It's going to be very, very dangerous and it's not, it's not us. We really wanted to make sure that we create one of the most profitable companies in Asia and uh, I know that we can do it. Now, you've already mentioned also the, the deeper purpose. And I believe your father was quoted as saying that the most important mission of corporations is to contribute to humanity. Now, looking at Rakuten's mission, what I read is to contribute to society by creating value through innovation and entrepreneurship. How do you balance these societal ideals with, with the need to make kind of quarterly profits in order to keep analysts and shareholders uh, somewhat happy with you? Well, you know, uh, I'm a strong believer of capitalism. 
because of the circulation of the capital. And definitely, it's a source of innovation and source of creativeness and source of entrepreneurship. I think this really matters that uh, what is the, uh, where the society is going. And then, uh, as uh, you know, I'm uh, one of the biggest philanthropists in Asia. We give the money back to the society, sometimes for research and development, or something good for humanity. And then our business model itself is contributing to empowerment of local economy too. So that's why uh, in Japan, we have a strategic partnership with almost all prefectures in Japan. Now, I think it would be fair to say that your trajectory, your personal trajectory, has been somewhat unconventional. And I guess that makes you a bit of a maverick. And I think your response just a few seconds ago on, on how you are conscious, of course, of shareholders' expectations, but you're also very driven by your vision and your sense of purpose, uh, again, signals this notion of, of maverick, this notion of, I think I have a better way. Being a maverick in your, in your home environment, is, is that difficult? How, how do you, does it weigh on you or, or do you thrive on it? <laughs> I don't think I'm a maverick, to be very honest. <laughs> I, I just think that this is the right way to do. <laughs> and I, I, I sometimes take a big, big, uh, big risk, like this mobile as a software concept. Uh, it was a big challenge. Many people think we are going to fail, but we succeeded. So there's a risk we can take, the risk we cannot take. For example, I thought about buying Huawei network devices from China and create a network first. But that political risk is not something I can take. I'd rather take technological challenges, engineering challenges. So we know I'm not really Mavelic, I'm not Elon Musk, but I think what we are doing makes sense. And after not several, but after a few years, everybody will say that's the right thing to say. For example, this mobile as a software concept. A few years ago, when I talked with CEO of gigantic telecom companies, either it's American or European, they all said, hey, Mickey, good luck. It's going to be very challenging. Now, what they're saying is what you are doing is the right thing. What you are doing is the future. The question is whether big telecom companies can do it or not. But they started to realize, like mainframe is the history and cloud is the future, right? Container is Kubernetes-based, cloud is the future. This is the same thing for telecom industry. So obviously entrepreneurs are challengers and creators and innovators. And I don't want it to be considered as the you know, successful, the conventional business person. And one of the challenges, of course, in this respect is, so in my words, one of the things I, I often say to, to executives is that it is necessary to be hard of hearing, meaning you have to protect yourself from all the noise out there, but it is also important not to become deaf. But there's a fine line, of course, between being hard of hearing and being deaf, right? Hard of hearing means that on occasion I still hear. So you mentioned a few seconds ago, you said the political risk I decided not to take. So I'd rather take technological and engineering risks than the political. So, so, so there are moments where you say, no, this one we're not going to do, and this one we are. How do you manage this openness to challenges and to others' feedback? <laughs> I don't know how exactly uh, I do, but we need to have open ears and open eyes. 
whether you buy it or not. Once you started rejecting it, then people will not give you your honest opinion and advices. So I hear it, but sometimes I feel, okay, I understand. But I think, rationally, I can counter-argue what they're talking about. Obviously, environment changed dynamically. Nobody thought there would be like a uh, Russian invasion to Ukraine or this uh, paralyzation of the economy. We never imagined. But I think, after all, water will follow, flow from higher place to lower place. Now, in addition to your Rakuten activities, you're also active in the Japanese Association for New Economy. I guess this gives you an opportunity to have a view on some of the practices that traditional corporate Japan may have to revisit in order to compete effectively on a global scene today and in years to come. A few weeks ago, I, I was uh, fortunate to be in Japan for the Nikkei Global Management Forum. We met a number of Japanese executives and, and one of the questions that came up was, are we going to have to examine quite seriously some of the practices, lifelong employment, people progressing as a cohort, and so on, that, that have been quite successful historically for a number of Japanese companies. So when you look at, at Japanese organizations, what are some of the changes that you think will have to come in the next few years? We have to change many things. You know, we need to deregulate uh, many old things. I think we have to become more capital friendly. And uh, I think Japan is moving more towards socialistic country. And what I think now, Japan is a beautiful country. It's a safe country. And uh, we need to become more open, uh, invite more non-Japanese people to come to Japan, contribute to our economy, contribute to our innovation. We need to become more diversified. Uh, we need to digitize uh, everything. So I, I think we have to change many, many things. And yet most of the, this business association has a very big vested interest and they do not really prefer change. We prefer change. We know we need more dynamic policy, uh, which may sometimes associate some pain, but without change, I think we will become one of the belated, not really exciting country in the world. Miki, as I'm looking at you and as I'm hearing your tone of voice, I cannot tell you that I'm hearing an enormous sense of optimism. Well, Rakuten means optimism, <laughs> by the way. Yeah, I, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, Japanese leaders will wake up someday. That's why I'm keeping sending messages, whether it's reaching them or not, through the business, through our communications, through our innovation, that's uh, one of the reasons why Rakuten needs to succeed. To get more kind of a credibility about our philosophy, our message to become more open, which hopefully many companies, many community will follow. Let me ask you one last question. As chairman and CEO of an organization as dynamic and complex as, as Rakuten, the, I guess the cognitive and emotional demands on you are obviously considerable. And I imagine that being at your best kind of all the time in your professional and personal life is, is a challenge and, and, and does not come without some efforts and some practices. What are some of the practices that, that help you to cope with the demands on you and in fact to thrive? Clean up your office every Monday morning by yourself. Make your own bed. <laughs> Seriously. I think it's just we want to be aggressive, but we don't want to be arrogant. We would like to preserve 
the modesty of our philosophy, but yet the strategically we want to be aggressive. Last, last question. You love your job because? <laughs> I don't know whether I love jo my job, but I have to do this. Interesting. You don't know whether you love it. Well, some fun, some, of course, challenges. I like challenges, and, uh, but I feel that it is very difficult to find a person who can replace myself at this moment. Okay, so you have a sense of responsibility and duty. Yeah. Mickey, I thank you for your time and your insight. Yeah, it was a very good uh, dialogue. Thank you very much. Thank you.